This is an irreverent podcast. Check out irreverent.fm for shows from all our friends. Hello and welcome to Exvangelical, a show exploring the world inside and outside the evangelical subculture. I'm your host, Blake Chastain. It's been a minute. I think I said that at the be- at a point in the fall last year when it went several months without a new episode and then I released a couple before the feed went quiet again. Um, I am much more hopeful for 2024 going into it just here it just being the second week of January I have a lot of high hopes for 2024 2023 was a difficult year uh, but ended well uh, including with the completion of my manuscript which I hope to be able to tell you more about later this year but the episode that you're about to hear is one I just recorded with my friend Kevin Garcia about their new book, What Makes You Bloom, Cultivating a Practice for Connecting with Your Divine Self. Longtime listeners will know that I have known Kevin for several years, and uh, we have had multiple conversations on the show, including about their first book. Now, we are talking about Kevin's second book in this episode, which just came out this week on Tuesday, January 9th, 2024. Um, And you will actually hear me use the title, The Good Books, as the introduction to this particular conversation. The reason for that is because actually I am planning to launch a new feed to feature the conversations I have with authors. I will continue to feature them in the Exvangelical feed. However, this is just an idea that I am going to be actively working on sort of in public over the next several months of highlighting these author interviews through a separate series called The Good Books. So you'll hear me introduce the show on that, or the conversation rather, uh, with that term. However, I hope to continue to feature more people in, in this feed that are not just authors, but other people doing interesting things speaking back to evangelicalism and addressing the same sort of things that I've always covered here over the last several years. One final thing going into this conversation is that I am back to editing the show by myself. So I have not had the time to polish this off in a way that uh, a full-time editor might, but I wanted to make sure that this hit the feed this week because of the timeliness of Kevin's book release, as well as the timeliness of another conversation that I've already recorded that I'll be sharing with you next week for the same reason. So um, please keep that in mind. If you are able to help support the show, that can absolutely go towards being able to pay for a producer again. Uh, But that is just not something that I'm currently able to do. But uh, this is a great conversation between a couple of people that have known each other for years. So the light touch of editing that I've done really just on the EQ side and everything and removing longer pauses and some of those other things, uh, you'll feel the natural tenor of the conversation, I hope. So that's it for preamble. If you want to learn more, you can go over to my website, postevangelicalpost.com. It is still currently hosted on Substack, uh, but I will be investigating options to leave that service if uh, economically feasible um, 
in the next few months. But you can find that over at postevangelicalpost.com. You can sign up uh, to receive free newsletters or emails about uh, guests and other things I'm writing about. And finally, um, you can support the show directly through a paid subscription at $5 a month or $50 a year. I donate 25% of net proceeds to the Religious Exemption Accountability Project and White Homework. Learn more over at postevangelicalpost.com. All right, let's get into it. Today I'm talking to my friend Kevin Garcia, and we are talking about their new book, What Makes You Bloom? Cultivating a Practice for Connecting with Your Divine Self. Kevin, it's great to talk to you. Welcome to The Good Books. Thank you for having me here in your space again. Because we've been, a, <laughs> me and Blake have been, a, for those of y'all who don't know, me and Blake have known each other a long time. Well, I guess half yeah, a century is a pretty internet. long time at this point. <laughs> in internet time, it's definitely, we've known each other a long time too. I think we connected first back in 2016. Oh my uh, God. Yeah. Some, 2016, 2017. Yeah. I around think. that time. Cause I think that was, um, I came out fall of 2015 and 2016 yeah. is when all my stuff started, you know, shifting from being a missionary and a strict Christian to shifting, we'll say <laughs> evolving, <laughs> blossoming. <laughs> Yep, exactly. All those, all those synonyms we use, and that—that that was I had just started evangelical, and that everything mm. was sort of shifting from like being progressive Christian to uh, maybe former Christian to maybe going back and forth. <laughs> yeah, it's like you know, we all got out there, and then we all got mad at each other about which direction, and then we're like, guess what? We don't have to travel together, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly, and that's that is. Uh, an abridged history of our corner of the internet. In yeah. About, in about that really seconds. kind of sums it up. It's just like we left, <laughs> then we got mad at each other, and now I think everyone's mostly okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I trust you, you on that. <laughs> I, I feel like I've been, I've been out of step for like a, a year or so because of stuff in the offline world. So, so that's just not, not been I mean, part better of, to re- part of my better work. to have a real life to like get lost in. <laughs> That's what I think. I mean, like, I used to lose days over internet drama because, yeah. like, it was I'm. I didn't realize it at the time, but just like certain things that went down, like those small little flashpoints within our community where everybody was calling each other and saying, "What do I do? What do I say? How do I continue?" Mm-hmm. I, I just remember myself being racked with anxiety um and just think you know catastrophizing my world was over and i'm like no it's you're fine like this is stressful sure but like i didn't have the tools i was still reacting like an unmedicated person because i was (laughs) right yeah yeah all that to say I'm super excited to talk to you about your book we've known each other Mm -hmm. for a while we've Mm -hmm. actually talked about your first book before uh because mm-hmm. this is actually your second book your first book yes. was bad theology kills yes which focused on this corrosive theology that undergirds american evangelical christianity some other mm-hmm. forms of christianity too but that's sort of the the environment in which we were we were all sort of formed but mm-hmm. i'm curious talking to you now in early 2024 why this book and, and why right now 
What led you Ooh. to write this book? Um, so the this particular uh, the first draft manuscript was due January 1, 2023, so a year mm-hmm. ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got it in on January seventh because I was I was like it's not going to get done on by January one. It just won't. So um, a week later, I locked myself in a cabin in the woods and um, talked to God a little bit and basically said, I need you to help me finish this thing out because I know it's, I know it's there. I just have to corral my ADHD um, hyper fixation long enough to produce something of value. <laughs> yeah. Um, but um, <laughs> yeah, the purchasing, purchasing, this book, What Makes You Bloom, started off as a passing thought during one of my meditations because um, I was meditating on the fruit of the spirit and just like, because to me, they've always been a very, I think, a good mark of like, okay, so how do you tell if somebody's living a quote unquote good life or a lovely life or, you know, a life worth living? Um, and I was like, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I'm like, that sounds to me like some pretty good things to develop like universally um you know nothing technically christian about those ideas Mm -hmm. um but it was always the question of like how do we even go about getting there um especially when you know speaking from my perspective i was like i came out queer in the church and all different all spirituality that wasn't white that wasn't strictly like read your Bible, go to church and pray to white Jesus um, and journal. Like those are the things we were allowed to do. Oh, and go to worship services. Like that mm-hmm. was the most fun thing we were allowed to do. <laughs> um, which is also why so many also, by the way, I realized this a couple of weeks ago, the reason all these evangelicals and Pentecostals are like so into worship music is because it's the most embodied thing that they do. They don't have fun things to do. They don't really go to concerts. They don't really like go into public places um, and move around and dance. They just uh, go to church and do that. Right, right. Um, anyways, um, what I realized um, as I was thinking about these things, I just got it in my head. I was like, you know, like what would it, like what am I teaching my students? And I realized I'm just like, it's kind of about all these things. It's about self-control, but self-control is not about deprivation it's not about not doing things it's about your truest self who you really are only ever doing what you want and not feeling shame or pressure in any other direction um gentleness itself i think is pretty dope too and we access gentleness through learning how to rest learning how to lay down we learn um faithfulness i i I was like faithfulness is a beautiful thing but not in the blind loyalty way that we were sold as children and, you know, young adults and Christians, you know, taught to be loyal to an institution rather than to our bodies and to the bodies of our friends mm-hmm. and to our real lived experience. And so for me, got my degree in practical theology and I am, I believe the only theology that is helpful is practical, meaning how does it affect your everyday? What are you going to, what do you do, do with this? And so this entire book, um, chapter by chapter, I'm exploring a different, what I would call maybe like a seed of practice or a seed of spirituality that over time, as you're maintaining the environment of your body, meaning like your inner world is calm 
and connected to source and has all the resources necessary, you naturally, naturally blossom into a self-controlled, gentle, faithful, generous person, kind person, loving person, because it's who you are at your core. And it starts by learning how to love you, love yourself, to love the shame that you've been carrying enough that it can dissolve into your, your love rather than constantly trying to layer virtue upon yourself to like cover up for what you perceive to be evil. Mm -hmm. um, I wrote this book specifically because I know that there's so many ex-evangelicals and former evangelicals or former Christians or just people in general who, for whatever fucking reason, we're spiritual. We can't help it. It's just in our DNA and we want a way to connect with that aspect of ourselves without triggering the shit out of us. Mm -hmm. So I was like, how do we do that? And I was like, all right, one chapter at a time, one practice at a time, one breath at a time. This is how you build a daily sustainable spiritual practice that's going to connect you with who you really are, with your divine self. So you can finally answer the question, how do I be spiritual but not religious? How do I get over my trauma? <clears throat> how do I let go of all the things that almost killed me finally and get on with the business of enjoying my life. Right. Um, does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. 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 And I mean, I, I, I really liked how, you know, you, you started with reframing the fruits of the spirit. Like that is the, uh, there's this, this quote from Wendell Berry where, uh, he's, uh, that it comes to mind for me a lot where, um, he he talks about like for better or worse Christianity was the religion that I and a lot mm -hmm. of people were born into. And, yeah, mostly I mean, for worse, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean it was written in like the '90s, and like it was like this essay was was at, at, at that point 30 years ago, trying to move people towards being more environmentally mindful within Christianity. Mm -hmm. So that was what the essay was written about. It was called Christianity and the Survival of Creation. And what mm. and what Barry was trying to do in that essay was, you know, look at look at what is readily available within our own na native or original like faith of origin traditions, um, mm -hmm. uh, and try to make use of it. Uh, but yes. to your point, like when it comes to something like traumas and things like that, um, sometimes those don't uh, mm -hmm. aren't readily accessible or uh, you know right. they're not usable for a time. And I don't and want I, to like, I don't necessarily want to orient our entire conversation around, you know, looking back. Cause I do think your, mm -hmm. your book is, is very much purposefully looking forward. Yeah. Um, Something like, I make a point of a lot and both with my students and in the book is that, I mean, I'm a Jesus-y person, like I'm a, I'm a mystic. And so like, I'm not talking about white Jesus. I'm not talking about capitalist God is very different and y'all know it. One of the things that I stress with people or like push with, not push, but suggest with folks is that if it is too painful for you to revisit the spiritual practices or even the symbols um, of your religion of origin, family of origin, et cetera, et cetera, because it just brings too much up for you, don't mm -hmm. use those. Right. Like put the Bible down. Stop yeah. trying to like make yourself into like some kind of, I, I still want to be sort of Christian. I still want to be like your spirituality doesn't have to look anything like it did. 
because whether you have a spiritual practice or not does not mean you are more or less connected to God or self or spirit. It just means that you do something different. <laughs> right. And, it, and I think that really is like the ability to lay down those things and say, I might never pick it back up is what allowed me to find a little bit of space to actually see, you know, things like the Bible or the Christ story and be open to the ideas of like a cosmic Christ more available because I didn't, I didn't try to make it work. I just mm-hmm. let it work on me, if you will. But it's right. So I, uh, this is the, the I, probably the only thing I'm going to pull on again from like comparing and contrasting where you came from to do where, it. where you are now. However, I, I do want to call attention to the idea that even in the title of your book, it's cultivating a practice. And I yes, think yes. one, I'm sorry, could you, did you need me to repeat that? No, or, I just said yes, yes. Oh, oh, oh okay, sorry. I misunderstood you. <laughs> sorry. Uh, so even in your title, uh, it's called Cultivating a Practice mm-hmm. for Connecting with Your Divine Self. And I think one of the things that that people who grew up with concepts like original sin are told to do, the, the true practice that they cultivate is berating themselves for mm-hmm. being sinful. Yes. Instead of instead of it actually being a practice in which you are learning to be kinder, you are learning to be gentler. Like mm-hmm. um, I remember, I was reading this one book that that compared a, a several different virtue ethics traditions, and it looked at mm-hmm. Confucianism and Buddhism, and and one more that I'm blanking on in the moment. But in Confucianism, like those texts they expect these things to take like five decades <laughs> yes like they like expect for someone... it to be a lifelong pursuit <laughs> right um but that's not something that we're not necessarily um mm-hmm. that's not modeled for us in any meaningful no. way uh within within more conservative forms of christianity or so, even in the west yeah so with with that in mind like as you went about learning these practices on your own and you looked at other traditions because you incorporate other traditions beyond Christianity yeah. mm-hmm. uh, within within the text. What were some of the things that that really, even before you started compiling the text, made made it clear that it was actually having to do with those more regular, ritualized, or mm. routine type practices that made the those like spiritual things that we that we always aspire to mm-hmm. uh, actually feel tangible and yeah uh, achievable there's a concept in yoga that i finally finally glad i understood because there is a when i think so i love yoga much as the next girl and got my yoga teacher certification and like really trying to you know under like I don't know, at least like when I was running away from Christianity, I was like, okay, I got to find a new path and I got to stick to that path. And then that path ended me back up on a mystical path anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think like the idea from yoga that I love is called like the idea of rather than being like a guru or, or a brahmachari, like somebody who is only seeking spiritual liberation. Their only seek their entire life is about yoga and service. Like meaning like I keep my practices I serve the world because I'm trying to escape samsara. I'm trying to escape my suffering so I can go on and, you know, escape the rebirth and death um, cycle. 
Um, <clears throat> and on the other side of that, if you're not like a guru, if you're not a brahmachari or somebody who is, you know, basically a monk or a nun, um, what do you do when you're just an ordinary Joe? And there's this idea in yoga called the householder, like a householder yogi, where it's your work in this life is meant to be done exactly where you are with who you're with and what you have, rather than thinking you've got to be something or do something different. It's really mm. calling you to like, what's right in front of you? That is your teacher. What are you doing? That is your curriculum. How can you find peace, love? How can you find yourself, capital S self, in the midst of the storm? How are you going to open up your heart in hell? Um, and a lot of these texts, like well, the problem with the Westerners is like we get a hold of these brilliant texts like the Bhagavad Gita or the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali or, you know, the, the poetry of Mary Oliver for Pete's sake. Mm -hmm. um, but, but we get these things and we want instantly to be transformed. And sometimes that happens. Sometimes it does just take a moment and just switch. And I think we call that a miracle when you just shift from fear to love so quickly. But a lot of times, like you said, like these texts were uh, understood to be about, um, as Trisha Hersey calls it in uh, Rest is Resistance, this is a lifelong meticulous love practice. Mm -hmm. this, is a, this is a practice of learning how to baby yourself, of learning how to be sweet to you, of learning how to have unbearable compassion for yourself every day for the rest of your goddamn life. And you might be thinking, oh, it just sounds hard because I'm constantly going to be taking care of yourself. Yeah, because this world is fucking hard, mate. Mm -hmm. Like, unless you were born into immense privilege, which like you and me, like we're pretty staunchly middle of the road, I think, in some ways. And, you know, barely hanging on to that in this economy. But regardless of that, I feel I've never felt happier. I've never had more debt in my life. My credit's never been more worse. But like... I don't think those things actually define me because mm. I know that's mm -hmm. not who, like that's not who I am. And I actually believe that I know that with my whole being. Um, and I like the thing about it is, it's like this, you know, to, to get here, to get ready for the book, like this, that's probably a solid, like eight years of meditation under my belt at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it really like, what it comes down to for me is like, you got to recognize, I've said this in the book too, that funny enough, this they they look at queer people and they're just like, that's an alternative lifestyle. That's not for <laughs> what God would do, right? Um, yeah. And when I think about, it, I'm just like, actually, I think what I'm suggesting now is the alternative lifestyle. It's an alternative to living in a capitalist centric, consumption based, performance based spirituality that gives you a shitty prize of nothing, <laughs> and gives you actually something that. Every single day, you get the something that you're looking for, which mm -hmm. for me is to be in touch with my, what I would say, my divine self, my truest self, the part of me that is love, is God, is unafraid, the part of me that is peace. And I'm not saying I'm there 24-7 all the time. I wish I could be. But again, I'm a householder. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm here living in the world and learning how to keep my heart open in hell, just like you. And it's fucking possible. It is mm -hmm. possible without having to go anywhere or be somebody special or get a seminary degree. <laughs> That's another thing. Ex-evangelicals, stop going to seminary. You don't need to <laughs> unless you absolutely 
want to be like some sort of clergy person, which in this day and age, like, LOL, just kidding. I'm not going to laugh at y'all about that. But you don't need to go to seminary to um, to tell you what you already know. Yeah, there's lots of reasons to 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 go. Uh, um, but just for the sake yeah. of trying to I, figure not, out what just, you believe, I'm, it's not it. Just read a bunch right, of books. Yeah, yeah, and pray. Yeah, You'll do more th- in 30 minutes of meditation, of really really solid meditation, than you might in a seminary classroom for four years or however long your degree program is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's some practical theology. <laughs> I'm so fucking serious. I went to seminary and I watched my friends lose their faith. And yeah, I don't mean that. Yeah. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think I lost my faith in seminary. But like none of them picked up a practice. None of them said, okay, well, if I can't find God through knowledge, which I thought this is what was going to happen in seminary, that's really what happens. Like I thought I was going to find God in the books in un- through right understanding. And then mm-hmm. when I understood that all of this was was just other people's conjecture about the ineffable, it's like you guys have PhDs in the theoretical, mystical nothing. Yeah, no, I, I mean it's it's a uh... it's, it's it's fascinating. It's and y'all think that you don't have authority to make decisions about your own life because you don't have a doctorate in ministry? Please, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, that's that's the you know, and there's there's a book um, Molly Worthen wrote. Uh, I forget what. I know the the subtitle. Oh, it's called Apostles of Reason, and it's mm. it's an ev- it's Ooh, an evangelical that. history. Uh, but it's the it's the subtitle is the crisis of authority in evangelical in American evangelicalism, and like that's mm. that is mm. at the heart of a lot of it. Uh, and we could certainly that really is yes, um, and in a lot of ways, you know. And I uh, I think what you're touching on in this in this society is that that you know we have all of these things that that are very you know oriented towards believing the right things or learning mm-hmm. learning the right things and you know where where we come from like you're usually taught a very very narrow path of mm-hmm. like what is correct and there's only right. a very particular way to grow and the the problem the problem with that mm-hmm. uh is that that's not the way mo- most people grow. Not not even no. some. I I would say most. Like it's <laughs> like it's like they really like you know to use you know the plant metaphor since we're talking about a book called What Makes You Bloom. Mm-hmm. Um, if you, I think what happens, I learned this because I was listening to Matthias Roberts's new book called Holy Runaways. Mm-hmm. Which, funny enough, I did not get a advanced copy of Holy Runaways until like the ARC copies were going out and my book was already in. And as I was reading it, I was like, oh, my God, we were on the same wavelength the whole time. He's like, I know that's cr- it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I talked to him about it, too. And you, you two uh, both definitely were like, yeah, in like, the same universe and brain. Um, yeah. But I learned this about greenhouses and plants is that plants cannot go from just greenhouse to garden. Like if you take a tomato plant that's like flourishing in a, in a greenhouse and you put it in your yard, it'll die instantly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's the lot for a lot of us is that our churches kind of served as these greenhouses where like the environment by and large was correct for a certain kind of growth, but it was not a resilient growth. And then we get out in the world and, you know, we wither down to our roots. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I have noticed about some of my plants, a lot of my um, my vine plants is that if they get too big and they can't sustain themselves, they will just die off. They'll die off and then they'll start sprouting again. As if like they're a brand new plant 
Mm-hmm. And yeah. I'm like, what? So like I've had two different plants that I thought were just dead, but they were just starting over. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because they had, had to let their roots get deeper. They had to let mm-hmm. their self acclimate to a different space, a different amount of light, a different amount of wind, a different temperature so right. that they can survive. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's the same thing with us. We leave churches. We are a little greenhouse plants out in the wild and we wither but those are the times though where you know you get to now pick your environment you get to choose Mm. and and you also get to maintain the environment from the jump you're kind of like starting over you got your root system you got to put it in some really really good soil so that you can start adapting to a new way of being and it, and, and it takes mm-hmm. time. And like they would say, like, oh, you see how you're struggling? It's because you're outside of the church. No, I'm struggling because you taught me to be codependent on a spiritual system that does not actually serve me. Meaning it's not mm-hmm. helpful to me. It makes me feel bad <laughs> actively. Right. right. And it's and, and, it, and it, it propagates itself by making you feel oh, bad. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. It do yeah. be propagating itself. Yep. So... And any amount Let's, of good growth you have, they come around and they snip that off to try and take <laughs> advantage of that. <laughs> Let's turn in another direction here. And I actually want to um, talk about something you you did touch on, on, on briefly, but I want to call attention to something in the written text itself, yeah. which is uh, the significance of capitalizing the word body. Yeah. Because that is something that's, uh, you know, um, capital capitalizing God, capitalizing Father, capitalizing all of that. Mm-hmm. Like those were, those were things that that's held importance. Um, so, what is the significance of capitalizing the word body throughout your text? To remind us that it, the body is the site of our liberation and our holiness. Like, and by that I mean like, so a course in miracles. Um, says that you think you have many ideas, but you only, or you think you have many problems, but you only have one. You believe that you are separate from God. And when I read that line, I'm like, oh, that's it. And it just got me to this place of like, all right, I gotta, I gotta shift this thing over. But how do I experience that? It's through the body. Um, the course goes on to say that like the reason we have such we're at odds with the body so much is because we've been taught to demand more than the body can give. And if we didn't demand more than this beautiful, sweet creature could do, we would never be at odds with ourselves. We have taught, we've been taught to make the body a slave, you know, to make it be a desireless, sexless machine rather than what it is, which is a dynamic, soft animal co-creator. Um, mm-hmm. And so when I say body with a capital B, I mean God. I really do mean that. Like your body is a manifestation of God, a manifestation of love, a manifestation of a divine intelligence, whatever you want to call it. But like, I just find the body, it's sacred. Like, if this is really, like, the temple of God, like, I have to love it. Not I don't have to. It just makes it easier if I do. <laughs> and so that's the thing. It's just, like, again, none of this is to, like, make you holy or, like, make you good. It's to remind you that you are good, that you are lovely, that you are all of these things that you were trying to, like, 
get in your mind, body, and soul when you were, you know, trying. It's like, no, you're already all these things. Your practice, your daily spiritual practice is to help remind you of that truth, to help get you in line with what's already true, not to get you elevated to a point where you're escaping yourself, which I think was what a lot of our evangelical spirituality did was like, less of me, more of God, less of yeah. me, more of this thing. It's like, no, all of you, all of God, all the time. That's yeah. what I say. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I used to sign my name with John 330. <laughs> you know? uh, what is John 330 for those? Christ of us? must increase. I must decrease. Yeah. <laughs> I had, um, <laughs> oh, Matthew 548, be perfect. Therefore, as your father in heaven is perfect. <laughs> oh, we really like, yeah. That, we, went, that, we, uh, we went extra. <laughs> yeah, the capitalizing the word body for me is to really, uh, in the same way that Jamie Lee Finch kind of introduced us to the idea that your body is a person, that mm-hmm. your body is your partner. Um, and then like, you know, being the non-dualist person I try to be is like, your body is technically you in some way. I mean, mm-hmm. and like, there's a part of me that's like, well, also you're more than a body, but you are also a soul, but you're also more than a soul. You're this complicated, delicious thing, but you got to treat your body like it's the most important thing you have in this experience. Because frankly, it is, it's the only thing that is truly yours in this experience. And said another way, you belong to your body. Your body's trying to take care of you. It's housing all of the material necessary in order to maintain consciousness here now that's to me it's mind-blowing i'm just like that statement Mm -hmm. your body contains all things necessary for you to maintain consciousness here that's Mm -hmm. an incredible truth if you have the the mind to perceive it and for me being in awe of that and looking for the awe it begins in the body like the body is the site of wonder is the site of God is the site of liberation. And it it is also the only site where true change can actually take place for me. It can only take place on the level of thought first. If I can't even change my mind, I have no hope of changing anything else. But if Mm -hmm. I can change my mind just a little bit to say, I'm not a bad piece of shit. In fact, I'm very good. You know, and you know, maybe God's not real, but at least I am. And maybe like, I remember saying one time when I was coming out, I'm like, if God is not going to love me because I come out, I will love me no matter what. Right, and that's really right. what my practice is, is how I love myself, no matter what, even if the world's falling apart, even if I'm in hell, I'll love myself. And if you can do that, ooh, baby, you've escaped, <laughs> like you, you've literally escaped hell in that moment when you realize that not even height nor depth, angels nor demons can separate you from the love you feel. Whether that's through Christ Jesus or for, through your own damn volition, I don't care. But right. it's real love. <laughs> right. And the the interesting thing is, is that a lot of times it, if you do come from uh, a more conservative background, the if you're vocal about this and you proclaim that that you prioritize loving yourself, um, that can actually alienate you from that prior community. Yeah, how and you actually, dare you? You? <laughs> you you have a chapter called Forget Community. Yes, and... I do. It's like, <laughs> oh my God. Oh, if I could tell everybody something. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing that a lot of us miss, that a lot of us idealize. It's like one of the last lingering ghosts of that 
prior life, you know, this like this longing of this like sense of sense of belonging that we had Mm -hmm. in that place, even as it was harming us, even as it was harming the people um, that raised us in it, that and their children and like their parents and, you know, that even knowing that that environment was was not conducive to your continued growth it's still something that nostalgia mm-hmm. creeps in about yeah um, i look at my little and, brother who like smokes more weed than i i know you don't listen to this ryan sorry um <laughs> ryan smokes just as much weed as i do is a parent working two jobs and on sunday still going to their local mega church and mm-hmm. i can tell mm-hmm. he doesn't buy it but he also doesn't know what else to do you know, he thinks that he's got it like this is the thing that ties him to some form of morality and like, you know, like gives him some sort of authority as a parent to raise his child. And I'm just like, but you don't. None of this is actually helpful to you. None of this is helpful. Anyways, I interrupted you. Community. No, no, no. I mean, that is sort of the, the same sort of vein. I was I was going a little long there. I mean, the <laughs> the uh, the chapter is forget community. And I mean, uh to call back to you mentioning that you and Matthias were on the same wavelength, mm-hmm. uh, Matthias has a bit and uh, a, a part where he talks about, um, uh, well, really, just you know, if you can have a couple of good friends, like, mm-hmm. like that's mm-hmm. really like in this day and age when we're all still reeducating ourselves after a pandemic mm-hmm. to like to socialize mm-hmm. like uh, seemingly normal people. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm definitely not projecting there. Uh, I am. I am. No, no, but I think um, <laughs> that you're really onto something, though. Um, when lockdown hit, I was reflecting on this with somebody last night. Well, you know, because when you're drunk at a bar, what do you talk about? Your religious trauma. And I was talking <laughs> with my new friend Sammy about what I was doing, and uh, we were talking about the fact that so many of us just are when 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 lockdown hit. They said the big thing was essential services only. If you're an essential services worker, you have you can, you got to go to work, and there's going to be hazard pay, et cetera, et cetera. What was not an essential service? Sunday morning churches, which for most churches is the only thing they actually do, meaning everything else, non-essential. And that just hit me in the fucking gut. I'm just like, what are we really <laughs> doing here for the world, for ourselves? And I'm not here to like badmouth every single hashtag, not all churches. And I get that like religion is meaningful in that way. But I'm saying by and large, and this was also including my church that I loved dearly and was a part of for years before I left. And mm-hmm. it wasn't because they're bad people. It was because it just wasn't feeding me anymore. Um, in fact, if I were to ever go to another place, it'd probably be back there. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, but in recognizing that, you know, I had to ask what is essential? What is the thing that's going to get us into a state of equilibrium and a state of, you know, yoga or union? Um, and it wasn't going to church. It wasn't going to community. And then a lot of people, they're like, well, I went to this church, but then like, it wasn't the right thing. Or like, I went to a progressive church, but you know, they liked me as a queer person, but they still kept fucking up my pronouns and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We, I think, as folks who are leaving bad religion, if you will, 
are seeking to recreate something that I don't think needs to be recreated or should be recreated because again, those communities were like codependent. Those communities um, taught us to be everything but what we are. It, they, they taught us really, they gave us an opportunity to lose ourself in something else. Um, you know, said another way to put our um, identity in Christ and therefore I am saved and I'm good. And that's the whole point of life. You know, codependence, greenhouse spirituality, if you will. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And what I am suggesting is that one time a client said to me, he's like, I, I just feel like I lost 200 of my best friends. I'm just like, you did not have 200 best friends. You had, you know, you were a member of a social club that loved to sing music on the weekends. Like, that's that's right. a great yeah. hobby. But that's those people, what happened when you changed your mind? They turned their back on you. That's not what friends do. And so uh, rather than, again, forget finding community because you think community is something to be lost in, look for friends. Look for real, deep, accountable friendships. And what I mean by accountable is that you give a fuck about each other's lives. Like, look for the people who it's not hard to love and it's not hard, like, it's not hard for them to love you. And just Hmm. give yourself to those people because they do, they love you. Like, and like, and you love, and you love them and it's easy. And like, when, um, I think that's also like learning how to find true friendship. That's the way we actually build solidarity with one another rather than just being like, cause like, you know, how many of us like had bills that needed paid, but like the church benevolence fund was just like, "Mm, sorry, that's not how it works. We only give it to missionary work. Even though like I'm your mission field, I'm right here. You know, I'm the person you're supposed to be helping right or wrong. I don't know. But like, I Mm. I can't tell you how many times I've been on the receiving end of a GoFundMe for bills because I get, you know, because I'm working for myself and sometimes it's a little thin, you know, I can't tell you how many times like I've had, my people, like when my father died, my people showed up for me. I n- like not one person from my old church, my old life reached out, but my people here, the five, basically the handful, truly five people who like loved me unconditionally. They were the ones who saved my life at that point. Um, and so I, I just think that we got to change our expectations, change what it looks like, change like you know, interrogate the feeling of, I want a quote unquote community, which means I want a big thing to go get lost in rather than I want to be a part of a really delicious, maybe smaller group of friends who just cherish one another deeply. And we, we become family that we become spiritual family in yoga. It's called Sangha. The people Mm -hmm. who just love who are your people on this path. Go look for those people. And, if, and, and, and more than anything, start looking for it within yourself first. Because once you know what it's like to love yourself, you won't tolerate it from nobody else. You won't tolerate bullshit from nobody, which is another reason we don't want to go back to church. It's because we'll slip right. I mean, I'll say this for myself. The reason I didn't go is because I was slipping back into those old ways. I was making excuses for people and their behavior. Oh, they're just not there yet. Oh, I can be a light for them. Oh, I can help bring them along. No. You don't need to bring nobody along. You need to bring you along. And you haven't been doing that half the time anyways. <laughs> but if you like, like it's, it really does. Another reason I think, and this is, I think actually like 
uh, if I'm looking back at like the grand scheme of like the exvangelical landscape, not just this podcast, but just like the the realm that we inhabit, I sure. think one of yeah. the reasons that so many of us had or were super involved, like when all those big explosions happened, and I'll say this for myself too, the reason it so dysregulated me is because I was not grounded. I didn't have a practice or anything else. I was just reacting like I would in church. You know, no mm-hmm. offense to to that. And there was no technically anything wrong. It was just so like it was really stressful. And it wasn't necessary. I didn't have to do that. Um, right. And I think the reason so many of us can't take advantage of good community is because we come in bleeding all over the place. We need a, you know, quote unquote doctor, or we need to take some time to do some spiritual triage, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll react, we react to each other like we would react to the pastors that hurt us. We react to one another like we are the old churches that did all the terrible things. When in reality, we're just other traumatized people existing um, on the internet together. And we don't see that. Right. We, right. See, we don't see oh, that. Pain, 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 pain. No, we don't see that until, until really until the damage is done, you know, mm-hmm. until somebody like we're hurt or somebody's hurt, you know, that. Yeah. Uh, and, I think and it's a you, shitty way to learn. Yes. Um, and you don't have to learn it that way. That's the thing yeah. is that I really do think if more of us as a community in general blah, like if more humans have a spiritual practice where they're connected to their truest self, their divine self, these things wouldn't happen as much because we wouldn't be looking to each other to get that validation or authority. And we also wouldn't be offended when other people make a misstep. Mm -hmm. You know, like we have to like, we have to like, we look at somebody else and say, yeah, you're doing it. Like, rather than being like, Oh, I see that interesting and terrible behavior right there. What's that about? You know, no curiosity. And again, being triggered is not our fault. You know, being upset is not a bad thing. It's just data for us to respond to. And Mm -hmm. you don't need to just respond to it in shame. You just be like, okay, what do I want to do now? What do I want to do next time? Because I don't know about you, but just like I was so sick of being mad all the time about people who did not care about me. (laughs) Right. And so Mm -hmm. that's my big thing is like, you know, I, I really stress an individual practice because when you finally are like because at the end of the day you are the one who has to take care of you that's an existential dread truth you have to take care of you no one else can do it for you and finally when you do take care of you you are gonna love everything about everybody else because now you know your job is not they don't need to do anything for you your job is to enjoy them and to enjoy yourself and if you can't do that it was like okay well then i need to address that Mm -hmm. um but that's how I feel about all of my friendships. It's like low expectation, high communication, full enjoyment. Mm. Like that's, those really is what really makes my friendships like the most delicious thing in the world to me. The thing that keeps me alive is these close, intimate, um, dare I say, sacramental friendships mm-hmm. that I've had where these people are really, they are God to me. They are reminding me of my worth and, um, I don't need them to do that, but damn, it feels good to have them, yeah. you know? So that's for me, like, yeah. it's like, I'm so, I don't want us to like continuously like spin our wheels looking for half love. 
you know right. or like you know only finding it among other like ex-religious people there's another thing too is you'll find is that like and I, i've talked to a couple of people who got like divorced you know since they're got married young had kids deconstructed divorced because they realized oh shit the only thing i had in common with my partner was we went to church together mm-hmm. and, and it's the same thing with like other like former evangelicals sometimes right, the right, only thing sure. you had actually had in common was you went to the same social club on sunday you went right. to the same Bible study for 30 minutes on Wednesdays. Maybe I, that might be it, which means you got to find some hobbies, boo. You got to find out what you like. And that's another problem. We, a lot of us don't know what we like <laughs> because we've been yeah. so fucking sheltered. But that's part yeah. of the fun. You know, second adolescence can be scary, but oh my God, is it a blast if you let it be? <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I That's that's definitely a, a pattern we absolutely see. And one of the... An, one of the other things that, that you talk about in the book that help you in your personal relationships is, uh, and you've talked to me, I probably on air. I mean, we've talked so many times mm-hmm. over the years, but definitely within the within the context of of us just uh, catching up, you've talked about your commitment to what you call radical radical honesty, mm-hmm. and in the book, you actually tie that to kindness. Yes, um, and. There is a you do quote a yoga sutra of um and please correct my pr- pronunciation if I do this wrong Patanjali um, Patanjali Patanjali thank you Patanjali um which uh, I I really love this this quote there that you have in the text by cultivating attitudes of friendliness toward the happy compassion yes. for the unhappy delight oh, in the so virtuous good. and disregard toward the wicked the mind stuff retains its undisturbed calmness. Uh, and yes, uh, I'd I'd love to hear how you tie these these ideas together of mm-hmm. of that at the root yeah. of being kind is also being honest. Yeah. Ooh. So radical honesty for me is summed up by the. I guess it's a. I guess it's a maxim. I love using that word. It feels so like gushy, like a real caviar kind of word you know <laughs> expensive <laughs> maxim my maxim for radical honesty is tell the truth all the time to everyone about everything with and like if we want to really dig it there without exception like and i don't even want to put that thing on there because it says tell the truth all the time to everyone about everything period and in parentheses you can put without exception and f- because for me since i so Frankly, I used to lie a lot, um, especially because, like, you know, I grew up queer. And so I was I was in the habit of hiding um, in my Christian home. And then in my first relationships, um, my first romantic partnership, I fucked it up so royal, so royally because I couldn't ask for what I want. I cheated on my partner and just made a mess of things because I didn't know how to ask for what I wanted because I didn't think I was allowed to want what I wanted. I didn't think I was like, okay, I got to, I just thought I had to be a strong, whatever. So I I thought I had to be strong. I thought I had to fit myself into this ideal. Um, and what it happened is I ended up hurting myself and my partner terribly dragging us through some financial bullshit and causing a lot of heartbreak and just a really, really, because I didn't know how to ask for what I want. Now, granted, he wasn't perfect either. 
Um, but so, but I'm not going to talk about his part. I'm going to talk about my part because that's what I'm here to do. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But something that I, I, um, I recognized for myself is like, I've got to, I have to tell the truth now. It's the alternative is too painful. The alternative is too painful because if I could have just asked for what I wanted, which was like, I want to have sex with other people. You know, I'm, I'm 23 years old. I'm, I just started having sex like a year and a half ago. Like I'm horny as hell and I got to get out there and find out like what's good. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, I, I didn't do that. I instead was a shitty person and, and hurt somebody. Um, so after that, I just resolved, like, I'm not going to do that anymore ever. I don't need to lie about those things because there's nothing wrong with wanting what I want. Um, so I, uh, I, I switched, I, I changed my life in certain patterns and just went with this path of radical honesty of saying exactly what I think it's summed up in three rules. And then I'll get back to the Patanjali quote in a second. Cause it does all add up. Um, oh yeah, don't you don't need to. I'm you, that was just a jumping off point. I just uh, yeah, so you're good. Feel feel um, free to to go in any direction. Now I'll, I'll get back to it because I think it, you do a really great job of like setting me up. I'm not gonna lie, um, <laughs> but with radical, it's almost like you've had a podcast for a long time. <laughs> uh, but with um, the three rules I have, the kind of practical aspects of radical honesty, I say I sum up by saying. I can always name what I am feeling because I'm responsible for taking care of my feelings, you know, or said another way, I'm responsible for loving myself no matter what. So if I have a feeling or I'm angry with someone, I can say, hey, I'm angry with you because X, Y, Z things. I never say, you made me feel da, 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 da. I'm saying, no, I'm angry. I feel sad. I feel depressed. I feel elated, whatever, because X, Y, Z because this is happening because you took such action because I took such action, whatever. I can always name that because I'm going to take care of myself no matter what. Number two, I can name what I need. I can name what I need um, because I know I'm responsible for getting those needs met because again, like existential truth, you are the one who has to take care of you. And also like I am the, I am my first and last lover. Um, And the last one is I can always ask for what I want if I'm always okay with hearing no. Um, because that'll really, really tell you where your attachments are and how like you want people to do what you want rather than, again, getting to enjoy them. You know, I'm, you know, radically honest to a fault. Like Friday night, I went out with some, I met a guy at the bar and I was like, what are you doing? I would like to take you home with me. And he's like, well, yeah, because sometimes you get a yes. <laughs> a lot of times you get a no, but <laughs> every now and again, um, like something that I've just noticed is like radical honesty has yielded to me all the things I want which is truthfully to live unburdened, to live without secrets or shame. Like that's really what it's given me. Um, And how this kind of like, when once I'm clear about who I am, what I want, what I'm feeling and what I need, I can actually like, you know, I hold everybody else to that same expectation in some ways of just, or saying, or that same level of freedom, like you get to do that too. Um, You get to be free. And so I also have to understand like when I'm suffering and I'm having a hard time, I was like, so how do I, do this and also, you know, live with other people or love other people. And the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali offer up a really, really clear path for that, which is, um, oh God, I'm going to actually pull up my book real quick <laughs> to get those points. Yeah, pull it up. Uh... Um, which it's not under let that shit go, right? It's under. It's under which... the uh, 
It's in the kindness section. It's in um, page think, 112, the four keys thank, to kindness. Thank God for you. That's on the, the arc that you Ah, uh, yeah, there it is. Um, by, con- by getting creating friendliness toward the happy, compassion toward the unhappy, uh, delight in the virtuous, and disregard toward the wicked. Um, I just thought like the uh, Sri Satchidananda wrote the most famous commentary on the Patanjali Sutras. Um, so a lot of this commentary kind of I pull from him. Uh, but it's like, think about it just very this way. It's also just like a good way to reflect is like when you see somebody's happy and joyful and they're winning at life, what's your first reaction? Are you bitter? <laughs> Are you like, what the fuck is wrong? How dare you be happy? Don't you know that the world's falling apart? Mm-hmm. You know, don't you know that there's a genocide in five different countries? Don't you know that the poverty rate in America is blah, blah, blah. And at the same time, like who's suffering right now when you are mad about someone else being happy? You are. Right. And so again, like, you know, rather than like your jealousy or your projection going out and totally wrecking your peace, you could just be like, you know what? Good for them. Can I, you know, said another way, can I delight with those? Can I uh, rejoice with those who rejoice? Um, and said another, you know, the second one, compassion for the for the unhappy. Um, or the, the other translation is compassion for the suffering. Uh, mm-hmm. But how many of us, like when we look at someone else's suffering, it triggers our own feelings about our suffering and thinking, you should be tougher. You should be over this by now. Oh, oh my God, you're okay. I've suffered through much worse than than what you're feeling. Like, no, that person is suffering. You are suffering. Will you love yourself? Will you be kind to yourself? Will you be compassionate towards yourself? So that like, you know, uh, like the example I use in the book is like, when a houseless person asks you for money, what's your attitude toward them? You know, are you thinking you should go get a fucking job, you lazy piece of shit? Or are you thinking, sweet soul, yeah, here's five bucks. This is what I got. And I, I really like, that's a big one. The other part is like uh, delight towards the virtuous and disregard toward the wicked. Um, it's also like, like, again, it's kind of one of those things when you see people doing good and you are trying also out the window there is a new dog mom walking their puppy for it seems to be the first time and this dog is not having the leash this puppy <laughs> is flailing around trying to take it off it's so funny to watch <laughs> sorry um delight the virtuous freedom for this dog um in the same way it's like i think a lot of times like uh who's it was um nadia bolts weber she said in a podcast she's like we have this bad habit in progressive circles of like, we only, we think that the only way to score points is by being shitty to people on our own team. And it's like, Mm -hmm. I really think it's just like, you got to stop fighting the people who are not your enemy. You're going to stop being mad at people who are doing some fucking good in the world. Like, and just recognize, I'm just like, it's like, if you don't like what they're doing, but they're not doing anything wrong, what are you mad about? Like what's go, what is going on? You got to check that. And then disregard mm-hmm. toward the wicked. It's like, everyone's like, huh? Like, well, we can't do that in the face of evil. Absolutely not. Um, like in the context of what we have to do to like be good activist people so that we can stay alive and organize to save people's lives. Yes. Do those things. But I'm talking about like the interactions on your everyday, like with your family, like powers and principalities of this world, go fight them in all the ways that you do while you're keeping your practice. But like on the individual level, 
it's I think this is in con you know in context of one-to-one relationships um it's like if someone does something shitty you know I just have to be like okay from a level of high high level of acceptance radical acceptance of like I see that you are in pain and you wouldn't be acting this way towards me if you weren't and at the same time you don't know how to address that you're unwilling to work with it you're unwilling to heal yourself and so I have to just like if I can look at you with unbearable compassion, like, oh yeah, I can see why you're acting that way. And I don't have to keep looking at it because it is disturbing my peace. Um, right, but these four, right. But these, um, these particularly, like, again, everything for me is practical, meaning everything is very contextual. And so a lot of these are within one-to-one relationships because those are the relationships that we're dealing with all the time. <laughs> um, right. And that's also some of the hardest things for us to deal with are those interpersonal relationships because of expectation, because of our programming. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that radical Certainly. honesty kind of sets the stage for us to break free of those programmings, to break free of those scripts and actually finally enjoy, again, enjoy one another rather mm-hmm. than um, rather than feeling, letting it, uh, I don't know, we make it so hard on ourselves, I think. And yeah. It's, um, oh, yeah. But yeah, I could, I could go on forever in that direction. Yeah, yeah. No, I I, appre- I appreciate you going into the detail you have, Kevin, because, uh, mm. I mean, I, I think that's, that is such a uh, an interesting approach of, of tying those things because I think, okay, I'm letting, I'm letting my Midwestern, you know, Midwestern Come on now, nice let it go. Thing, you know, like especially, you know, we're we're known for being Midwestern nice, which is like nice which to your face, su- but mm-hmm. same thing <laughs> with Southern hospitality. Yes, yes, it's bless your heart, but it's the same. It's the same sort of thing. Nice to your face, but judgy behind closed doors. You know, mm-hmm. and like that is not. Uh, and I, I think twenty, fifteen, twenty years of of like uh no holds barred social media usage across the country has like Mm -hmm. has uh disabused us of a lot of those notions thank god Um, what a great use of the word disabused by the way (laughs) um but uh but nonetheless i mean that that is i i think a very interesting way to tie those things because we a lot of times we think honesty is just abrasiveness you know or Mm -hmm. it's it's uh it's this type of thing being blunt yeah i just tell the truth you know like like we we all know someone who like uses that as an excuse to be an asshole yeah and it's like um but that's not necessarily what the honesty is because the way that again tying mm -hmm. back to what you said about it being contextual like you do frame it as being a way in which you are Mm -hmm. showing concern for someone like you are showing concern for both your yourself and the other person your mm-hmm. needs and their needs yes. and also the communication that can bridge yeah. the gap whenever there's a difference between those things yeah because um, the, the reality and, is like if i don't like if i look at you and i allow you to cont- like for example like you know in our hard relationships if i continue to let my you know example my uh family member say abusive hateful homophobic things around me to me a and they're just not willing to change that's not kindness to them to allow them to abuse me because i understand what they do to themselves they're doing 
what they do to me, they're doing to themselves. Um, and also it causes me to want to lash out towards them. And if I can't be around you and be fully loving, fully present, fully joyful and accepting of your person, I don't think I want to be there, frankly. And it's, it's not trying to be mean or offensive. It's just like, I'm not, I don't, I shouldn't, I don't have to deal with this. I do like right. that, that, that truth right there. You do not have to like, don't let people be mean to you. And if they are, you're just like the thing, the kindest thing I can do is love you at a distance, love you right where you are at. And that means I have to love you from over here. Mm-hmm. That means like, I got to change it up. And like, you know, there's a whole chapter on boundaries too, because I think like that, like radical honesty, which leads us to kindness and our unbearable compassion, which leads us to really good boundaries, which leads us to, I think, true. What, what is it? Let me look at my table of contents. I'm like, it all flows together. When you got a, uh, <laughs> where are you? It's, Honest. boundaries unbearable compassion and patience i always mix those up it's like being radically honest allows us to create boundaries and it's from those place of boundaries because we're being unbearably compassionate with ourselves that we're able to be compassionate with everybody else mm-hmm. like it all again it all kind of comes back to that individual practice shit that i keep harping on it's like mm-hmm. none of like all this stuff that we're talking about all these ways that you interact with other people it actually has to begin with you you got to be willing to be sweet with yourself if you're going to be sweet to other people. You got to be willing mm-hmm. to forgive yourself if you even want to entertain the notion of forgiving other people. Like, for, like honestly, forget trying to forgive your past or other people. Forgive yourself, bitch. I'm so serious. People like, you, like oh, so many of us are walking around with low grade guilt over what we don't know. Just like an ex- mm-hmm. an existential shame. And I'm right, like, get over right. it. Let it the fuck go. That's not right. yours. You learned it from the church. You learned it from Western society. And you're unwilling to set it down because you think that if you slow down, you're going to die. You think your worth is going to decrease because you're so wrapped up in the goop of capitalism that you don't know that if you did nothing, you would be worth everything. And so that's, mm-hmm. that's what I want people to get to. This work is about maintaining the environment of your soul so that you can finally live the life you want so you can bloom. Like, like that's the whole thing is at the end yep. of the day, if you take nothing else away from this is that I really do believe that you are able to connect with the source of all life and love within yourself at any time that you need is like love. There's great love here for you. That's mm-hmm. my favorite mantra. There's great love here for you. Great love. Here I love for that. You. And I think that is the, that should be the note that, that we leave listeners on so that you can become readers because there is even more in the text and oh my god please go pick it up it's i'm so proud of it i'm so proud and you should be this is a wonderful book and i hope it becomes a you know a resource for people that that are uh that are hoping to reconnect with a lot of these things the title again is what makes you bloom cultivating a practice for connecting with your divine self it is in stores Everywhere, go to your local bookstore. Yeah. Um, I do actually want to try something out with you here at the end. Yeah, um, let's do it. I, I know I mentioned, I, 
I mentioned a new title at the top of the show. The Good Books. <laughs> so that is something that I'm going to, it's going to be coming out in the same podcast feed people have always uh, found my stuff in, but it might break out at some point. Yeah. Nonetheless, I'm I actually doing want. That too, I think. Oh, awesome. So I have a handful of like book, book business yes, type yes, questions. Yes. It's going it, to be three, it, like three to f- three to five minutes. And these oh, are love it. just, just like a quick lightning round. Okay. Of, keep it short. Questions. I can do that. So there are three questions. The first one is, and I'll just do it one at a time. So the one. first, first question for you is what do you love as a writer about writing or about language in general? I think that writing allows me to figure out what the hell I actually am thinking, like deep down. <laughs> and it also forces me to kind of interrogate, interrogate the thoughts to see like which part of these are true. And by true, I mean helpful. And mm-hmm. which aspects of this is just programming that's left over from, you know, my being indoctrinated. Right. Um, and even now, like, spiritual coach two books later there's still some programming latent programming that kicks in every now and again you know Mm -hmm. said another way i still have inner child wounds that i'm helping heal um right and and writing really helps me um confront find and heal those things nice what hopes do you have for this book i want it to be a bestseller i want it to be read by millions of people I want it. I want to go on the View. I want to go on every podcast to talk about it. I want it to get on Good Morning America. I want this to be translated into multiple languages. I want this to fucking start a revival, and not in like the shitty way we're thinking. But I'm talking like <laughs> I want people to wake up to their their divine self, so we can actually save the fucking world. Did you know the world's burning? You know, we're going to have fucking destroyed sea levels and like, you know, like. Yeah, it's it's a mess. <laughs> yeah. There's like, not only that, it's like, it's political, it's international, it's yada yada. But the only way we do that is through spiritual resilience. And that's only possible through a people who are fully awake and fully alive. So mm-hmm. when I, I really do want this to not just to be for like the ex-evangelical girlies. I want everybody to wake up. I want I right, want atheists right. to read this and be like, you know what? Yeah, I don't believe in God, but I think I'm divine as hell. Yes, yeah. Like I love I, it. I love it. Yeah. And my 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 final quick question for you is: Do you have any advice or or any uh, kernels of wisdom for novice writers? It could be business advice. It could be something mm. else entirely. Yeah. Um, if you are somebody who is like, I want to write a book, um, go. Look up, uh, the thing that helped me the most was like learning how to write a really good book proposal because not only do you need to, and this is from a commercial writing standpoint, if you want to sell a book to somebody, mm-hmm. you have to go do the research. you got to find out what everyone has already said. What are you adding to the conversation and why are you the person to say it? Um, That's well and get, yeah. Yeah. And then get really, really clear. Like, do the psychographic information, do the marketing research, because then you'll understand what you need to do in order to create a book. And you might be the person, the only person, no one's talking about it in your field, which also means that there might not be a agent or a publishing house that wants to do that. 
don't be afraid of self-publishing either because um frankly like i bad theology kills my first book is self-published it's not perfect and by that i mean there are certain like grammatical mistakes and formatting mistakes that i could fix but i won't um (laughs) but that book really helped launch my career Mm -hmm. and i did it as an indie project and it's still selling pretty good like um but yeah i'm a don't be afraid to write the proposal do your do your research uh send it off to people and then at the end of the day if nobody bites self-publish like just fucking do it we like we need more good words in the world mm-hmm. so and plus like self-publishing like doesn't fucking cost anything you lose nothing so if your book goes out and if quote unquote flops and like no one will know <laughs> yeah it's true just uh just but also just like it. yeah yeah if you sell more than 200 copies i mean like is that it, you know if you're starting from zero like that's not quite a flop you know you earned mm-hmm. money that's a that's a winning project to me absolutely absolutely well kevin it's been a, a joy talking to you again a joy talking to you about oh, your new book so good where can people find you online or anything else you want to mention here at the end um if you pick up the book which i hope you do at the every single chapter has a guided meditation that excuse me ooh every single chapter has a guided meditation that helps kind of deepen the experience of the words in the book because again practical here like i don't want you to just read this i want you to feel it and get it in your bones so you can go to thekevingarcia.com slash bloom meditations so like the book bloom meditations and um download there's like a, there's 10 days of of meditation sent straight to your inbox for free to accompany along the book um i hope you love it i really do and then uh, you can find me uh, at thekevingarcia.com, across the internet at thekevingarcia. And um, hire me. Come bring me into your churches or community groups or whatever. I would love to be in your town. Awesome. Kevin, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. This is a blast.